listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. One of my favorite men of God of all time, Dr. John G. Lake, and um, we're covering this week a series called Secrets from the Greats. And we're looking through these great men of God throughout the ages. Yesterday we touched on um, A.A. Allen and Dr. Paul Yungi Cho, who built the largest church in the world of over a million members in uh, Korea. This is uh, Yoido Full Gospel Church in Seoul, Korea. Um, absolutely amazing what God used them to do. We covered what they believed were the secrets behind their success. That's what we're doing all week, is that we're looking at these mighty men and women of God that have shaken their generation, shaken the world in their time, and looking at what is it that God showed them from the word, what he spoke to them in prayer that helped them to be um, mighty in their generation. The reason we're doing that, God has called you and me to be mighty in our generation. And the same principles that worked for these mighty people of God are working for us. No question about it. Uh, These are not uh, proprietary things just to their life, their ministry, their time. These are timeless principles from the word of God that when you gain a revelation of these things, it changes your level. It absolutely changes your level. And so that's why I wanted to cover this this week. Um, Many people are not operating at their potential. Though God wants us to be uh, at our potential, some just don't know how to get there. Some don't know how to get there. Some have never been taught. Um, And so it's important to cover these things. And um, these these men of God should never be forgotten. What they did was mind-blowing. If you saw all the things I've seen from these men of God, it is literally not just inspiring, it's mind-blowing. We may play the clip this week uh, in one of the broadcasts of Dr. Reinhard Bonnke, just the uh, montage of his altar calls throughout Nigeria. Absolutely. I mean, the first time I ever saw it was in Dr. Bonnke's office in Orlando before he went to heaven. I wept. I wept. The power of God drawing men and women to Christ in mass. I'm talking millions upon millions. You know, it's an amazing thing when you have a crusade and in one week's time, you see 3.6 million people come to Jesus. In one of those services, 1.03 million people came to Christ in one night. Over a million people. I remember he told us about that and he said, he said that was a lot of work because that night we had only registered 375,000 altar workers. <laughs> if you've got 375,000 altar workers and you're still having issues taking in the harvest that night, that's a lot of people. And um, he was looking at about one altar worker to about every three people getting saved. And so they had their work cut out for them. But it's stunning. It's absolutely stunning what God has used these men and women to do. 
Um, and these principles, we can take them and use them in our own lives. God is taking you to another level in Jesus name. And we will not be stunted in our growth, will not be hindered. There will be no obstacle that can stand in our path that will stop us from what we've been called to do in Jesus name. You will accomplish your purpose with strength in the name of Jesus Christ. The devil will not be able to stop you. There'll, no, there'll not be any hindrance or obstacle or roadblock that can stand in your way in Jesus' mighty name. And so it's important to look at these principles. The reason I say that is because we have a, a scripture that we're using as our base text this week. And it's found in Hebrews chapter six and verse number 12. The reason we're using this is because it's a principle from scripture that helps us to understand how we should function in the body of Christ. Uh, let me read that verse of scripture to you. And if you're, if you're live with me now, you can put it in the comments, Hebrews six twelve, where the Bible says, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises so that you may not be sluggish, so that you may not be sluggish. Let me read this to you in the Amplified uh, Classic, the Amplified Classic. In order that you may not grow disinterested and become spiritual sluggards or lazy people, but imitators behaving as do those who through faith by their leaning of the entire personality on God in Christ, in absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom and goodness, and by practice of patient endurance and waiting are now inheriting the promises. So this is a scriptural principle. And good morning to everybody. I love you, I'm glad you're here. This is a scriptural principle that even Paul the apostle taught. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. That's one passage. Another passage he wrote, be imitators of me. And in a third passage, Paul wrote, I'm sending my son Timothy to you, who's going to teach you how to live like I live. So Paul knew there should be human examples. There should be human examples of how to follow the word of God. You know, there's people that say stuff like, well, brother, I don't need a pastor. I don't need church. I just need Jesus. I just need my Bible. Nope. That's not how Jesus set it up. He gave gifts unto men. Ephesians chapter four, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. You're not called to be a lone ranger. You're not called to do it by yourself. God has set in the earth people that will be able to perfect your faith, that will be able to fulfill the gaps in your faith. That's what God sent them to do. And so there are people on the earth that we can follow after their example and get what God has for us. And that's what we're doing. We're looking at these men and women of God that have gone before us, that have done amazing things in the kingdom, and we're following their example. That's why we called this series uh, Secrets from the Greats. Secrets from the Greats, because God raised them up to greatness in their generation, caused them to be impactful, extremely impactful. And so we're gonna look at that. And today, as I said yesterday, we covered A.A. A. Allen and Dr. Paul Young Cho today covering one of my favorite men of God of all time, um, Dr. John G. Lake, Dr. John G. Lake. Um, 
what I'm holding in my hand is a compilation, a collection of his life teachings, a complete collection of his life teachings by uh, Roberts Learden. And um, there's a, a book that we're going to send you as well. Um, those of you that are sewing into what we're calling the David Project, I'll talk to more about that at the end. But we're going to combine a group of books from these mighty men of God and put them in your hands, those that are standing with us. Yesterday, I showed you this one, which we redid this and offered it through our ministry, which is The Price of God's Miracle Working Power by A.A. Allen. This, I believe, was the greatest book he ever wrote when Jesus appeared to him and told him what he needed to do to have a miracle ministry. This book is life-changing. And um, there's a book that Dr. John G. Lake that was compiled of his teachings called Spiritual Hunger and Other Sermons by John G. Lake. And so we're gonna, we're gonna offer that to you as well. But these, these lessons, you know, if you don't know anything about Dr. John G. Lake, this man was a very unusual man, very unusual. His ministry was so dynamic. The miracles of his ministry were so dynamic. At one point, he opened what he called healing rooms in Spokane, Washington, and he had healing technicians that would work with him. And by the way, if you're just jumping on, take a minute to share this broadcast today on social media, help somebody find it, help the word of God get out. Um, he had healing technicians that would work with him, just like Jesus had his disciples. He taught people the word of God and showed them how to lay their hands on the sick and watch them recover. And um, they would have sick people come to these healing rooms every day in Spokane. And they would lay their hands upon them. I read once about Dr. Lake that he would give his healing technicians one verse of scripture every day and say, meditate on this one verse of scripture and get it in your spirit and then begin to minister to the people that come for healing out of the overflow of this one verse of scripture. They were so uh, strict on this, I read, that if a healing technician did not see the success of getting their person healed, that he had them go home and live with that person until the person was healed of their sickness or disease. And in a 10, think about this, in a 10 year period, 10 year period, they had over 100,000 documented miracles over a hundred thousand documented miracles in 10 years. Um, this was so unbelievable to some that it caused an investigation. <laughs> they thought it was a false claim. And so it caused an investigation, I believe through the Better Business Bureau, who came out and investigated the healing rooms and the people that had um, you know, said they'd been healed and uh, thinking it was all a farce, you know. And when they found out that it was not, they printed um, a report in the newspaper that said that half of the stories have not even been told. Somebody, Gordon Lindsay published this, somebody from uh, the government sent someone from Washington DC to Spokane, Washington after the fact and declared it to be the healthiest city in America. I mean, it's amazing the healthiest city in America after all these miracles took place. And um, 
an amazing man of God. If you've ever heard me tell the story, for a time he was an apostle to South Africa during the time of the bubonic plague. And um, he went there when people were dying in mass and there was no, there was no cure for the bubonic plague, something that touched every continent of the world in those days at the turn of the last century, late 1800s, early 1900s, touched every continent in the world. And when people got it, they were dead. And um, it was very, people were very contagious. And uh, if you think about how much money this is, the government was trying to pay people $1,000 to bury the dead in that, in that time, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s. That's a lot of money back then, $1,000. People would not do it. They wouldn't get near the dead. The reason being, after people died, they were still contagious. The disease, the, um, it, got in the, uh, it got in their lungs, became pneumonic, and then, or pneumatic, and then it would come out, there would be a foam that formed around their mouths after they died. And so, um, even the foam was contagious. So people didn't wanna to touch dead bodies because they thought, uh, if I get the bubonic plague, I'm gone. There's no hope for me. And so people wouldn't even touch the dead. He had an assistant, um, I believe from French Guyana that was worked with him. They would go right into the homes, pick up the dead bodies and take them out and dig graves and bury them. And uh, finally help came from Europe on a, a ship. Doctors came to try to do what they could in South Africa. They had heard about what Dr. Lake and his assistant had been doing and were amazed that they had not contracted the plague. And so when they spoke to Dr. Lake, they said, um, man, we noticed you've been doing this but have not contracted the plague. What, and this was their words, what preventatives have you been using? What preventatives have you been using? And he said, it's called the law of life in Christ. The law of life in Christ. And uh, he began to explain to them that the life of God was flowing through his body. He used to refer to it as the lightnings of God. The lightnings of God are flowing through my body. And he explained to them that when the plague touched him, it would die. He would not die. The plague would die. That's how he believed, because of the life of Christ that flowed through his body. And he said he talked them in to doing an experiment with him. They didn't want to do it initially, but he talked them in to doing an experiment where they took some of the foam from the mouth of the victim and put it on his hand and then looked at it underneath a microscope. And when they looked at it underneath the microscope, they saw the cells of the plague dying as they touched the cells of his skin. And they couldn't believe it. They said, what is that? He said, it's the lightnings of God that flow through my body. It's the law of life in Christ. Hallelujah. It's the law of life in Christ. Thank you, Jesus. And so Dr. Lake, he believed that way. At one point, they brought a young man to him who was suffering with stomach cancer. And actually the sores had opened up on the, on the young man's stomach so that his skin was eaten away. And the parents said, would you pray for our son? Dr. Lake laid his hand on the sores and prayed and released the power of God into the young man. When they brought the young man back to Dr. Lake, they said, he's healed, look what God's done. And when they lifted up his shirt, they saw all of the, where the sores were was new 
fresh skin, looked like baby skin. But Dr. Lake's handprint was burnt, impressed about a quarter of an inch into the skin. They said, what is that? He said, that's the lightnings of God that flow through my body. So he had this understanding that he had dominion over sin and he had dominion over sickness and wicked spirits. And he understood his dominion and would often teach that the same substance of God that is in heaven, the same substance that makes up the Godhead is the same substance that flows through your body. Glory to God. The same substance that flows through your body. And of course, we know that the Bible says, in fact, I'll read it to you. Go there with me to Romans chapter eight. And again, for those of you that are watching, if you want to join me after this again, I'll be going live at noon for our half hour of prayer as we did yesterday. We're praying again today. If you want to jump on with me after this broadcast, we're going to do a half an hour of prayer. I'm encouraging you. These are the secrets that brought greatness into the men and women of God. Um, If you go with me to Romans chapter eight and verse 11, Paul writes this. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So Paul is teaching here that the resurrection power that brought Christ back is living in your body right now. That's what John G. Lake was talking about. The law of life in Christ, the lightnings of God. What are the lightnings of God? That was his phrase for that Holy Spirit power that was flowing through his body. And that's what we're reading here. The same spirit that raised Christ up from the dead lives in, dwells in your physical body right now. It's not coming in and out of you. It's not temporary. It's not like it was in the Old Testament where it comes upon you and then lifts off of you. No. In the New Testament, that's Romans 8, 11. In the New Testament, we, have, we are a permanent dwelling of the Holy Spirit. And I want, you to, <clears throat> I want you to write this in the comments today. I am God's house. Please put that in the comments. I am God's house. I'll read that to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. It, Paul writes, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. Why? Because your body is God's house. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's no question. You are God's house. God loved you so much that not only did he send Jesus to die for you and to be resurrected for you, but he sent the Holy Spirit to live in your body. That's powerful. And Dr. Lake knew this and he understood it was resurrection power, resurrection power. 
That's what's in you right now. Think about the fact that if that spirit could raise Christ up from the dead, a dead decomposing man who had no brain function for three days, no heartbeat for three days, nothing, no organs functioning for three days. If the Holy Spirit can raise up a dead decomposing man, what can that spirit in you do to cancer cells? What can that spirit in you do to viruses? What can that spirit in you do to blood problems? What, what can that spirit in you do to arthritis or cataracts? See, that's resurrection power right now as we're speaking, flowing through your body, flowing through your body. It's going through your veins, flowing through your organs, flowing through your bones, flowing through your muscles right now. Right this very minute, the lightnings of God, as Dr. Lake called it, flowing through your body right this moment. You are God's house. Think about it. The Holy Spirit is just as much God as Jesus, who is the Word, or the Heavenly Father, who is Jehovah. The Holy Spirit is just as much God. And that Spirit, the Holy Spirit, He lives in your body right now. And he's not coming in and out. He's not leaving for months and coming back. He doesn't go on vacation. He stays permanently inside your flesh, inside your body, inside your spirit right now. Hallelujah. I could take a whole broadcast just to talk about that and what he does in you. But Dr. Lake had an understanding that because the Holy Spirit lives within you, he gives you power and dominion. Power and dominion over the devil, over demons, over sickness, over addictions, over sin. Gives you power. Well, of course, Jesus said that, didn't he? He explained what would happen to the disciples when they received the Holy Ghost. Acts 1.8. You shall receive power, glory to God, after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. One of the things that happens when you're filled with the Holy Ghost is you are filled with power from on high. Kristan watching from history class. Put those AirPods in. I'll give you some better history right now. <laughs> Glory to God. <clears throat> power fills you up. <clears throat> power fills you up. I want to read this story to you. He, he understood the, the passage of Scripture, 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Thank you, Jesus. That's the Holy Ghost. Greater is he that is in you, 1 John 4, 4, than he that is in the world. And the one that John's referring to there is the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist has been at work in the world for thousands of years. Thousands of years. It's not nothing new, but you've got the Holy Ghost who has never not existed. He has always existed from the beginning. He's eternal and he lives in you and he's greater than the spirit that's in this world, which is the spirit of Antichrist, from which stems sin and stems sickness and poverty and brokenness and depression and fear and hurt and torment. All of those things stem from the spirit of Antichrist. However, the spirit that's in you is far greater 
than the spirit that's in this world. That's the Holy Ghost that's in you. Amen. And so Dr. Lake understood that you've got dominion over the devil and every wicked thing. He was in South Africa. Um, <clears throat> and he, he experienced something that was to him shocking and um, really unusual. And so he, he said on one occasion, two men had become extremely jealous of each other. They were both native chiefs and they lived 60 miles from each other. One time as I was in the crawl of one of them, and a crawl is a village of South African natives according to Dr. Lake, uh, if I'm pronouncing it right, K-R-A-A-L, I heard them discussing this difficulty with the other chief. And it was decided by the chief that the next Sunday morning, he was going to set the other fellow on fire. I wanted to see this phenomenon. And I got a horse and went across the country to be there on Sunday morning. The chiefs go out and round up their cattle and herds, look over their flocks, etc. It's sort of a Sunday exercise. So I rode along. We'd not ridden for more than an hour when I observed this fellow was becoming very hot. Within half an hour, he was absolutely purple. I knew somewhat of medicine. So Dr. Lake was actually a, a medical doctor before he was a preacher. He said, I knew somewhat of medicine. I would have said the man was likely to have a paralytic stroke from blood pressure. After a while, he began to complain, complain of terrible pain. And finally, he became exhausted, got down and lay on the ground and passed into a state of terrible exhaustion. I believe the man would have died. I'd heard about these sorts of things, but this was taking place under my own eyes. I saw that unless the man got deliverance, he would die. When, I, when it got to that point, I said to the brethren, it's time we prayed. So understand, the man was not going there to set the other man on fire physically. He was working witchcraft against the other chief, demonic witchcraft, causing the man to burn up from the inside. <clears throat> he said, it's time that we prayed. I stepped over and laid my hands on and called on God to destroy that damning psychic power that was destroying the fellow. And God shattered it. I talked to the conference about this matter. I said, it's a strange thing to me that in all the years of missions in this land, your hands are tied on account of witch doctors. Why don't you go out and cast the devil out of these fellows and get the pe people delivered from their power? They took a long breath and said, cast the devil out. He will cast the devil out of you. Talking about the witch doctor. The secret of our work, the reason God gave us 100,000 people, the reason we have 1,200 native preachers in our work in Africa is because of the fact we believe the promise of greater is he than he that is in the world. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He said, whenever I got in the presence of one of these fellows and wanted to cast out the devil, I always felt I wanted to get his eye. I searched to get his eye. The eyes of a man are the windows of his soul. In teaching a class of children, I asked them what the eyes for, were for. One little chap said, your eyes are for you to look out of. Do you get it? It's not a poetic expression. They are windows through which you look out. It's a wonderful it is wonderful the things you see when you look out. And so he's saying he would get the eye of these demon-possessed people, look at the devil that was in them, and by the Spirit of God, cast the devil out of these witch doctors. 
cast the devil out of these wicked people. By what? By the dominion and authority that you have on the inside of you. That's a, and he quotes the scripture from uh, Luke chapter 10, where the Bible says, Behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Hallelujah. And so uh, this is something you've got to understand. You've got dominion. See, that's what they didn't understand. He was rebuking them. You, you shouldn't be tied up in your missionary operations because there's witch doctors here. Cast the demons out of these witch doctors and get to work. And they were so afraid. No, they'll cast the demons out of you. No. I've got all authority over all the power of the devil. Nothing shall by any means harm me. There's no demon that has authority over the Christian. The devil himself, Satan, does not have authority over the Christian. Because if Satan could have authority over a Christian, even one, that means that he has more power than the Holy Ghost that lives within the Christian. That's why I've, I've been teaching against this nonsense that we've been seeing online, that Christians can have demon spirits or Christians can be demon possessed. It's nonsense. It's absolute heresy. It's a slap in the face to the power of God. It's a slap in the face to redemption. It's a slap in the face to the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. Christians cannot be demon possessed. If someone's demon possessed, they're not Christians. If they're demon possessed, it's because they don't have a stronger spirit living within them. What demon is going to eject the Holy Spirit from your spirit? Because I'll tell you, the Holy Spirit will not cohabitate your body with a demon spirit. He will not. We're already possessed by a spirit. It's the Holy Ghost. Yep, it's not in their soul, Mary Beth. I know what they say. Well, it's in their soul or it's in their body. No, no, there's attacks that may come from the outside, but they do not live in your body. They do not dwell in your body. They may attack your body, but they do not live in you. The Holy Ghost lives in you. You gotta take authority over the devil and cast him out. And Dr. Lake understood. This is the thing. Now, he said, if I could just, if I could, if I could just transfer a, a, a thought to the body of Christ, what is it that I would teach that's so important, that's so vital? And the second thing, beyond the dominion, the life of God that's in you, the, the consciousness of God that's within you. Let me hammer that home one more time. He was huge on this. The consciousness that God lives in me, that the power of God lives in me. He was very conscious of this and he understood it. He understood it, that the fire of God, the power of God, the anointing is in my body and can be released from my body to heal the sick, to cast out devils, to bring deliverance to the captives. He understood it and he had the faith to do it. Amen. You can't have faith and put this in the comments and put it in your notes. You can't have faith to do something that you don't understand or that you don't know. Put that in the comments. I can't have faith to do something that I don't understand or that I don't know. Please, please understand that. That's why teaching is so important. That's why preaching is so important. Paul said to the men in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? No, they replied. We've not even heard there is 
such a thing as the Holy Ghost. The reason they couldn't receive the Holy Ghost, they've never heard of the Holy Ghost. Never heard of it. Don't even know what it is. So you can't have faith to do something or receive something that you don't know what it is or you don't understand. That's why teaching and preaching are so important because you can only go as high as the truth that you have from God's word. You can only rise as high as the truth that you have from God's word. That's why the Bible says, John, Jesus said it in John chapter eight and verse 32, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. You shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. You can't be made free by truth you don't have. You cannot be made free by truth you don't have. In the Old Testament, God said it this way. My people are destroyed. Why? Because of a lack of knowledge. Not because the devil's attacking. Not because there are demons at work. My people are destroyed because they lack knowledge. That's why they're destroyed. They lack knowledge. Because it's the knowledge of God's word that puts you at a high place. Faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. The more of God's word that I hear and understand, the more faith that I have. The higher I can rise in the kingdom, the more I can accomplish. That's why the devil wants to keep people ignorant of the mighty word of God. Wants to keep people ignorant of the mighty word of God. Because the less of God's word you know, the less revelation you have, the less freedom you have. I'm sure that, I love you, Nona. I'm sure that you remember the first time that you ever heard the truth that Jesus isn't just a savior, he's also a healer, that he can heal your body. What a revelation. You didn't have faith to be healed before that or to walk in divine health. You didn't know it existed. You probably remember the first time you ever heard Jesus is not just a savior and a healer, he's a provider, that he'll bless you financially. Oh man, what a revelation. I didn't have faith to receive it before now because I didn't know, but now that I know, I can receive it by faith. Teaching and preaching are vitally important because they bring us into the revelation of God's word, which brings us into freedom. That's right, Mary Sue. Quoting Luke chapter 10, she said, if I remember correctly, in one of your teachings, you mentioned that the word for power over the enemy is actually the word authority. That's right. Speaking of Luke 10, 19, the more modern translations will render it accurately. I've given you all authority over all the power of the devil. Two different Greek words there. Exousia, which is authority, and dunamis, which is power. I don't have power over the devil's power. I've got authority over his power. I don't have to wrestle with him. I don't have to try to uh, hold him down and, and by my own strength, subdue him. All I have to do is use my authority and speak and tell him what to do, and he has to obey. Hallelujah, he must obey. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And so Dr. Lake understood this. You've got dominion over the devil. Supernatural dominion over the devil. And he said, if I could leave one thing to the body of Christ, it is this secret of his ministry as well. Spiritual hunger. Spiritual hunger. Put it in the comments. Spiritual hunger. He pressed this and pressed it and taught it and taught it. 
One of his most famous messages, one of his most famous subjects, spiritual hunger. He quotes Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. You can't do anything with somebody who's not hungry. They'll not pray. They'll not fast. They'll not read the word. They'll not go to church. They'll not spread the gospel. They won't. You can't do anything. God can't use a person that's not spiritually hungry. He can't. That's why, again, if you're just logging on, at 12 noon, I'm going live again. We're going to pray for half an hour. We're going to pray, as we did yesterday, for half an hour. I've been encouraging people to pray for at least an hour a day. Pray for at least an hour a day. And and get into God's presence and build that hunger in the spirit. See, spiritual hunger is different than natural hunger. And I'll explain how. Natural hunger, when you eat and eat, your hunger is satiated and you're filled up and you're not hungry anymore. But spiritual hunger is different. Because spiritual hunger, when you eat spiritually, when you eat and eat, it makes you hungrier and hungrier. The more you eat spiritually, the hungrier you become. The more you eat spiritually, the hungrier you become. The more you seek after God, the more you want him. The closer, the more of his manifestations. James said it that way. Draw near unto God and he'll draw near unto you. Draw near unto God, he'll draw near unto you. Thank you, Jesus. So spiritual hunger is different. It's the opposite of natural hunger. The more you eat in the natural, the less hungry you are. The more you eat in the spirit, the hungrier you become. Hallelujah. The hungrier you become. And that's why uh, God can't use people that aren't spiritually hungry. They don't have any desire. You know what happens? People become complacent. They become spiritually lazy. That's what um, the writer of Hebrews was warning people about in the the verse of scripture we started with, Hebrews 6, 12, so that you may not become sluggish, disinterested, and spiritually lazy. Spiritually sluggish, the Amplified says. Disinterested and spiritual. That's what the, the devil wants Christians, to become disinterested and spiritually lazy. God can't use people like that. He can't use people that are spiritually lazy. He needs hungry people. Hungry people. The more you eat in the spirit, the hungrier you become. And so Dr. Lake is teaching here on spiritual hungry, hunger. And he says this, blessed are those which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they'll be filled. Hallelujah. He says here in his sermon from December 11th, 1924, hunger is a mighty good thing. It's the greatest persuader I know of. It's a marvelous mover. Nations have learned that you can do almost anything with people until they get hungry. But when they get hungry, you want to watch out. There's a certain spirit of desperation that accompanies hunger. I wish we all had it spiritually. I wish to God we were desperately hungry. Wouldn't it be glorious? Somebody would get filled before this meeting is over. It would be a strange thing if we were all desperately hungry for God, for only one or two to get filled in a service. And he begins to talk about the importance of hunger. 
<laughs> I'll tell you something funny. He, he tells a story here. He tells a story about being hungry. <laughs> he said, let me find out where he wrote this. His wife. Yeah, here it is. He said, I, one day I was extremely hungry. And he said, I found something that looked like a corn muffin. <laughs> and he said, I was so hungry that I started to eat the corn muffin. He said, and I, I ate the entire thing. And he said, it was weird because there were lumpy things. <laughs> there were lumpy things <clears throat> in the corn muffin. He said, but I didn't know what it was. And I just kept eating it. <laughs> Here's where he said it. He said, I went into the house, began to look for something to eat. I was nearly starved. I found a great big sort of cake that looked like cornbread. It was still quite warm and smelled good. I ate it all. I thought it was awful funny stuff and it seemed to have lumps in it. I did not just understand the combination and I was not much of a cook. And about the time I'd finished it, my sister and her husband came in. She said, my, you must be awful tired and hungry. I said, I was, but I just found a corn cake and ate the whole thing. She said, my goodness, John, you didn't eat that. He said, I did. What, what was in it, Irene? She said, why, that was a kind of cow bread. <laughs> she said, we feed it to the cows. We grind up the corn cobs and everything and put it into the cornbread for the cows. She said, you see, it depends on the character and degree of your hunger. Things taste mighty good to a hungry man. Things taste mighty good to a hungry man. Do you know what's an interesting um, quote that Dr. Reinhard Bonnke said? And I thought this was powerful. Dr. Bonnke was talking about the fact that we live in a generation where people have been spiritually starved spiritually starved. You look around our generation. I was looking at it this morning. I won't say the name. I won't say where this is, but I'm blown away by the content in many of our churches, many of the churches that exist in the United States of America. And, and I, I'm not saying this because I'm, um, I'm saying this because I'm hungry to see God move in our generation. That's why I'm not listing who this is or where it is, but it's all over the place. They've become entertainment centers. They've become entertainment centers. This much of God's word, maybe a verse read, maybe one verse in the, in, in the whole service, but tons of entertainment, tons of entertainment. And I'm all for excellence. I want there to be, churches should be the most excellent places you can go. I'm not saying that, you know, take all those lights out of there, take all that. No, I'm, churches should be the most excellent places you can go but they should have the substance of the word of God and the power of God moving in their services. They've become entertainment centers to cater to people that are spiritually lazy and disinterested. They don't lay hands on people. They don't give altar calls. They don't preach against sin. They don't. They don't preach against sin. 
And so we live in a generation that is spiritually starving, spiritually starving. Do you know we have people that go to our church that drive five hours round trip. Some drive two hours, three hours round trip to be in the services on Sunday. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying just to do the basic things of preaching the fullness of God's word, not bowing your knee to the spirit of this world, letting the Holy Ghost flow freely, yielding to him, laying hands on people, giving altar calls. There's a hunger for the anointing. Wouldn't matter who it was. Doesn't matter if it's me or any other person that yields themselves to the anointing of God. People are hungry for that. We live in a spiritually starved generation and people are looking for something real. They're looking for something real. There's a hunger that's not being filled. People are tired of, of that. Do you know what's, what's crazy? They started to do a poll of Gen Z about what they want in a church. And isn't it interesting, the things that my generation saw growing up as church shifted into these uh, centers where it's, you know, everything doesn't look like church. It looks like a club. It looks like, you know, whatever. Gen Z is saying they're going the opposite direction. They don't want church that looks like a club. They want church that looks like church. They want church that looks like, you know, it, they're actually shifting back. We want to see the cross. We want stained glass windows. We want church buildings. It's, it's unbelievable to see that it's shifting back because people are hungry. They want, they don't want what the world has. They want what God has for them. They want to be different than the world. They want to be different than the world. They want, they want something that's real. <clears throat> They want something that's real. And so that's what we're starting to see. And, and we have a starving generation that needs the bread of the word, the word of God. Spiritual hunger brings it back. When you start to get hungry and thirsty for righteousness, you'll be filled, the Bible says. You shall be filled. When there's a hunger to go after God. Do you know this book right here that I told you about yesterday? Doctor, uh, or, or excuse me, Brother A.A. A. Allen, Evangelist A.A. A. Allen. He did not come to this conclusion. He didn't have this encounter with Jesus until he got hungry enough. He did not have this encounter with Christ until he got hungry enough for a change. He was having, he was not having the impact in his ministry. He was not having the results in his ministry that he wanted to see. He wasn't having miracles and signs and wonders. And then he got hungry and he said, God, whatever it's going to take. And he started to fast and pray and to seek God's face. He failed a few times. He broke his fast. He got out. He, he broke his vow and he went back to eating and stopped praying. But then he got hungry enough in the spirit. He got hungry enough in the spirit to go into that prayer closet, to push the plate away, to fast and pray and seek God's face. And Jesus appeared to him. It wasn't until he got hungry enough. Spiritual hunger drove him to fast and pray. And Jesus appeared to him and gave him these things. And it transformed his ministry into a miracle ministry that shook the world, shook his generation. I mean, when you've got 20,000 people coming to see you a night underneath a tent outside, having people drive from states away, states away to come and receive miracles, signs and wonders and be saved, shaking his generation changing the culture at the time. Denominations hated him because he wouldn't segregate his church services and make black people sit in the back and white people sit in the front. They tried to put a rope up and separate the sanctuary under the tent and make black people sit in the back and white people sit in the front. And he came in and tore the ropes out 
and said God's people will not be segregated. They hated him for that. But he had such a hunger to see people changed that he would not bow his knee to the spirit of the world. It wasn't until he got hungry that things began to change. Hunger changes a man. Hunger changes a woman. And that's what Dr. Lake was saying. I ate that whole thing. Didn't even think about what it was because I was starving. I was starving. I was starving. You got to get hungry for the things of God. Hunger will drive you into the Bible to read. Hunger will drive you to your knees to pray. Hunger will drive you to push the plate away and fast. Hunger will drive you to tell people about Jesus. It changes who you are. And Dr. Bonke, I meant to get there a few minutes ago, but he had a powerful, powerful quotation. He said, bread is always relevant to a starving man. Put that in the comments. Bread is always relevant to a starving man. We talk about being relevant in our generation. The lack of spiritual hunger. We talk about being relevant. Well, we, we got to get our churches to be more relevant to the world. What does that mean? What does that mean? Do you think people get saved because there's lights? Because we've got great stage lighting? You think that's why people get saved? You think people get saved because we have LED walls? You think people get saved because we have smoke machines? I'm not against any of those things. We have LED walls. There's one behind me. We have lights in our church. I'm sitting in front of lights right now. Not against any of the technology. We have cameras. We have TVs. We've got LED walls. We've got all the stuff. But do you think people get saved because there's an LED wall? Do you think people get saved because there's a light show? You think people get saved? No. The Bible says nobody can be saved unless the Spirit of God draws him to be saved. There's got to be an anointing there. Bread is always relevant to a starving man. People think that we got to dress more relevant. If I could just dress more relevant. You're not, you don't see me, you know, at our church in ripped jeans and a, a deep V, you know, t-shirt. You, you don't see me. And I, again, I'm not trying to look like what everybody else looks like. And if you like that, that's good. Good for you. Because the anointing doesn't come on you based on what you wear. You can be anointed. I have friends that are anointed in, in, in ripped jeans and a t-shirt. That's fine. But what I'm saying is, it's not what you wear that makes you relevant. I wear a suit and tie, others wear jeans and a t-shirt. But it's not what you wear that makes you relevant. It's not the lights, it's not the LED wall, it's not the cameras, it's, none of that makes you relevant. What makes you relevant is the anointing of God upon your life. The anointing of God upon your life. Hallelujah. The anointing of God, that's, what, that's what's relevant. Bread. Jesus is the bread that has come down from heaven, the Bible says. This right here is bread. I'm talking about the word of God. The word that he preached, the word that I'm preaching, the word we have in front of us, it's the bread of heaven. The word is bread. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What comes out of God's mouth is bread. It's bread. It's not natural bread. It's spiritual bread. Hallelujah. It's not natural bread. It's spiritual bread. That's what Jesus was eating in the wilderness. Spiritual bread. He's not eating food. He was eating spiritual bread. And then he told the people, I am the bread that has come down from heaven. Who is Christ? The word made flesh. 
The word made flesh. The word is bread. Please put it in the comments. God's word is supernatural bread. Please put it in the comments today. God's word is supernatural bread. And bread is always relevant to a starving man. Always. Without question. And that's what Dr. Lake understood. There's got to be spiritual hunger. This is the thing that took him to another level. This is the thing that made him different. That's made many men of God and women of God different. What would cause somebody to fast for 21 days? What would cause someone to fast for 40 days? What would cause somebody to give their entire life to seeing people change when they could do many other things? It's the word of God that gives you a hunger. The spirit of God that gives you hunger to see your generation changed. It doesn't matter if you work a job. You don't have to be in pulpit ministry to have spiritual hunger. You don't have to be in pulpit ministry to change your generation. You might be a computer programmer. You might be a mechanic. You might be uh, in the service industry. You might own your own business. You might be a, a general contractor. You might be an Uber driver. It doesn't matter what you do. I see one of the men from our church uh, that's on the broadcast right now. He's a soul winning machine. Brother Joe, he's a soul winning machine. God will use you wherever you're at. God will use you wherever you're at. You don't have to be an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher for God's power to be flowing through your life. He's anointing you right where you are. All it takes is some people to get hungry spiritually, to get thirsty spiritually. And God looks for people that are yielded to him. Yielded to him. The question again uh, that my mother-in-law asked in the comments, how do you become spiritually hungry? As I said earlier, the more you seek after God, the more you read his word, the more you pray, the more you fast, the more you press into his anointing, the hungrier you become. Say, so, well, I've, I've just been feeling very uh, blase. I've been feeling very blah in my spiritual life. Then press in. If you've been feeling blah in your spiritual life, it's time to press in. If you've not, if you've felt if you felt like, oh, I just don't know. I don't feel the anointing like I used to feel it. There's a reason. Press in more than you have. Press in more than you have. You say, well, I don't know. I've just not been feeling it. It just doesn't, I, I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like reading the word. Then make your dead flesh do what it doesn't want to do. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. He said, I put my body under on a daily basis, on a daily basis. So that after having preached to others, I myself will not become disqualified. It's a spiritual discipline. That's right. It's a spiritual discipline. I don't care if my body feels like reading the word. I read the word. I read the word. I'll tell you what. Give God a tithe of your day. Give God a tithe of your day. Uh, here's just a good pattern. You don't have to be religious, but here's a great pattern. If you read nine chapters of the New Testament a day, which you can easily do, nine chapters of the New Testament a day from Matthew to Romans, or excuse me, from Matthew to Acts, and from Romans to Revelation, you read eight chapters a day. Nine chapters from Matthew to Acts, eight chapters from Romans to Revelation, you read the New Testament every month. Every month. That's an easy goal. You've got the time to read nine chapters a day. You absolutely do. You absolutely do. I'm busier than anybody I know, and I have, to, I have the, the time to do that. 
And then pray. Here's a good, here's a good marker. Pray an hour a day. So I just haven't felt the anointing like I used to feel it. Pray for an hour a day and read the word nine chapters a day. Read the New Testament every month. Pray and take days throughout your month to fast and pray and watch what happens then. I encouraged our church on Sunday that we're fasting yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Three days of fasting. Many people are joining us. Some people are doing uh, one day, two days. But press in. Do you know if you, think about this. Did you know if you gave God three days of fasting and prayer a month, just a month, that you would give God a tithe of your year in fasting and prayer? That's 36 days of the 365. 36 days of the 365. If you just gave God three days a month, hallelujah. Praise God, Scott. Scott's with me for three days of fasting and prayer. We're breaking tomorrow night at the men's meeting. But I'm telling you something. If you just gave God three days a month, that's a tithe of your year in fasting and prayer. Give God an hour a day. People often ask me, why do you always recommend an hour a day of prayer? Because it seems to be what the early church did. It seems to be what Jesus told the disciples in the garden of Gethsemane. He said, could you not even tarry with me and pray for one hour? To Jesus, it seemed like an hour was not a long time to pray from the way he said it. Could you not even tarry with me for one hour? And in the early church, they were up to the temple at the hour of prayer. Michael said, once you recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit, it means everything. But if you go a couple of days and don't hear from the Spirit, I feel like you're suffocating. Is that normal? You've got to keep a daily, see, that's what I'm talking about. You have to keep a daily discipline with the Lord. He's always there to talk to you. He's always there to meet with you. He's always there. When, let me just say it this way. I said it this way earlier in my life, never forgot it. If you'll set an appointment with God each day, he will never miss the appointment. Let me say that again. If you'll set an appointment with God every day, he'll never miss the appointment. We may miss it. He never misses it. And so listen to what I'm saying. If you just do these things, four things that I'll, or, well, let me give you five, five things that will keep you in that place. Are you ready? Number one, and this is just the standard that I'm setting. Number one, read the New Testament every month, nine chapters a day, and then eight chapters, Romans through Revelation. Read the New Testament every month. That's number one. Pray for an hour a day. Number three, fast for at least three days a month and give God your time. Do you know the early church fasted for two days every single week? Every week. The early church fasted two days a week. And they were not consecutive days, so they had to do a full day. So number one, read the Bible every day. Nine chapters. Two, pray for an hour a day. Three, fast for three days a month. Number four, be faithful to church. It blows my mind how people are not faithful to church and then they're wondering how come they don't have a breakthrough. They show up once every four weeks. No, be faithful to the house of God. When the doors are open, be there and receive the word, receive spiritual bread. And then number five, be a soul winner. Be a soul winner. Take it to people everywhere you go. Tell people about Jesus. Win people to Jesus. Those five things keep you on fire. They keep you on fire. Read the New Testament every month. Pray for an hour a day. Fast three days a month. Be at church every time the doors are open. Be a soul winner. 
Those five things keep you on fire and they keep you spiritually hungry. There's no greater motivator than when you win somebody to Jesus, it sets you on fire. It sets you on fire. Sets you on fire. That drives. If you want to know how to, how to gain the spiritual hunger that Dr. Lake's talking about, that's how. That's how you do it. I'll tell you, one of the things that I do with the word, I don't just read the word. I listen to people preaching and teaching the word, what you're doing now. I'll turn on preachers. I'll listen to teaching. I'll listen to preaching. YouTube is a phenomenal resource. You can still listen to preachers that are dead and in heaven. Mighty men of God. You can still receive impartations from them. I spend the time. I spend the time. But those things will keep you on fire. They'll keep you on fire for God. Probably should release a book about that, Tiff. How to stay on fire for God. Be an easy one to get out. And just explain the basics. Because I'm telling you, spiritual hunger is so necessary. It is so necessary. If we're going to do anything for God, if we're going to do anything of meaning for God, we have to have hunger, spiritual hunger. Thank you, Jesus. Spiritual hunger that will drive us to do what God's called us to do. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I pray, Lord, today that you would give them a hunger to press in like they never have. Lord, I pray you strengthen every one of us to subdue our flesh nature, to go beyond what the flesh wants to do and to do what the spirit has called us to do. Lord, show us things in your word we've never seen. Show us things in prayer we've never seen. Give us a hunger to fast and pray. Give us a hunger to be in your house. Give us a hunger to win souls for Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you're raising us up as an end time army in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We'll never bow our knee to the spirit of this world. No, but we will pursue the presence of God with everything we have in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We pursue. We put our flesh under and we pursue, we pursue, we pursue. And we thank you that as we're doing that, you're giving us even greater hunger and greater hunger and greater hunger that will never lack spiritual hunger in Jesus name. We are the remnant. We are those that will not grow cold. We are those that will not fall away. We are those that will not back away from the Holy Ghost. We push forward in Jesus name. We push forward and we thank you Lord for it. We give you praise for what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.